What's going on? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah I can hear going? you, man. It's good. What's up? Man. What's Everything's going on? good. Can't complain, brother. <laughs> How are you? Not too bad. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the 40th. That's right. Wise Guys Hideaway turns 40 today. 40th episode. And I got a very special guest with me. My buddy James here. And uh, him and uh, some colleagues of his have uh, wrote a book on my personal uh, favorite mob boss, Don Carlo Gambino. So today we're going to do something a little different here at the Hideaway. Uh, David and Rob uh, won't be joining us. They both got hung up. Tis the season. Uh, but a big shout out to those guys. Shout out to Sarah DiPaggio over at Mob King. All the guys at our thing, uh, you know, the the Bad Guy Podcast. Uh, shout, shout out to Red from Chicago. I mean, all the boys. But uh, but this is uh, mainly James' episode, so we're going to let him have at it. James, what, what do you got for us today? You guys are doing a book on Carlo, huh? Yeah, we are. Um, so uh, the book actually came about because there was an, a, a first edition of the book written by Paul Mescal back in the 70s. And um, um, Paul you know, ended up passing away uh, in October of 2006. And I've always been a Gambino fan. Um, and I use a lot of his source material from way back uh, to help me write a Gambino novel that I published in 2015. And then what ended up happening was I had a copy. What was, of, what was the name of that novel? Pl- plug that son of a bitch real quick while you're on here. Sure. Yeah, it was called uh, Gambino, The Rise. And it's uh, part one of a possible two or three part saga. Um, I haven't really uh, finished writing the, se- the second part um, yet. Um, I was busy working on, on this project. So, um, so yeah, I use a lot of uh, Paul Meskel's stuff uh, to help me out with, with my research and whatnot. Um, uh, and uh, I had an original copy of the actual book and um, oh, that's, that's fell, yeah, and 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 that first edition just fell apart. Literally, the binding tore. Like it was such an old book, you know. Like it was published in the seventies. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was so a paper or hardcover? It it was actually a paperback, and I tried oh, my, my hardest. Trust me, man. I, I tried. Oh, I bet. I, I bet. Tried to, <laughs> I tried to keep that thing in, in in shape, but I I could. You know, with time, you know, it just oh yeah, kind of just disintegrated. And so I was thinking to myself, this is like my favorite book ever written. So I can't read it anymore. I've highlighted the shit out of it. Like I've written notes in it. Like it's just, you know, so I was like, I need a new copy of this thing. So I just rewrote the damn thing myself. I rewrote every single word. And then what ended up happening was the book was written while Gambino was still alive. So I provided a little bit of closure in the second edition. Um, So. Yeah, I updated everything up till 2009, uh, 2019 with the death of um, uh, Frank, Frank Cowley. Yep, yep. yep. So, um, so yeah, so this book just ties everything up. It, you know, gives the reader a little bit of closure. Um, I updated the photos uh, in the book and, you know, I got permission from uh, his uh, estate to publish it. And here we are. So, so you were in contact with the actual Gambino estate. Like, who's still who's still around authorizing the use of uh, their father's likeness? Uh, his son or daughter or what? what yeah, the yeah, the kids, the kids, uh, the sons. Yeah, so, you know, they they were on board. They liked, uh, you know, and the crazy thing is, when you need something and it's not out there and you create it um, by default, you'll create value because it's 
most likely other people will want it too. You know what I mean? Or other people were looking for it too. So um, this came, this was born out of necessity, really. Because um, I, I want the book. No, I, so when- I, I know the Hunter S. Thompson behind it. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all, but that's how he, uh, that's how he became the, the writer that he became is he used to sit down and he used to type the great Gatsby or, you know, Hemingway's work or Maillard's work or whatever. He, yeah. So he could kind of get like, he, he described it as like how you learn music, like learning the symphony of writing. So I really dig how, yes, how it came yes. out that you, that you rewrote the book. And then you were like, well, I mean, yeah. let's get some closure. I didn't know that book was wrote when he was still alive. That's, that's incredible. So they don't even tackle that big Paul it's, takes over the family or anything. It, nothing, nothing. Paul, in, in, the, in the first edition, you know, there's maybe one mention of Paul Castellano, you know, because back then in the 70s, you know, he wasn't really a factor. No, yeah, he wasn't. Much, no. You know what he I mean? Was a captain? <laughs> uh, a capo at that point? Uh, if, if that even, you know what I mean? Uh, obviously he's Carlo's cousin. Um, so, um, and brother-in-law, you know, by nepotism yeah. and brother-in-law. Exactly. Right. So by nepotism alone. And, and the thing about the Gambino clan is they're cut from straight from the Borgias, like way back. So they, there was a lot of intermarriage yeah. in that family. So they, they, be, they believe in keeping the blood pure somewhat. And so cousins would marry cousins um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, Paul was his cousin, but also his brother-in-law because Carlo Gambino married Paul's um, sister. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, so, I mean, no, so you know, so. It was I mean, that, like his, his early years up to when he comes here in, I think, 1921 or 22. And when he sits in through Virginia and works his way up to where he begins working with the Castellanos and bootlegging and things of that nature, it, it tackles all that to his rise to power. Or do we come in once Carlos sort of taking control after Anastasia? Yeah. So the, the book itself starts off with um, like kind of like a prologue where uh, in the 1970s, when Carlo Gambino gets arrested, it's a fraudulent charge. Um, uh, he gets arrested for, quote, orchestrating um, an arm, like uh, the robbery of an armed, uh, of an armed truck or okay. whatever. Okay. Um, an armored truck, like a and, truck. Yeah, like an armored truck. And so, um, you know, that nothing, you know, that doesn't pan out. The charge doesn't stick or whatever, but it starts there. And at that point, he's already in you know, in the seventies at that point, but that was the first time that America, believe it or not, really got a, a, like a good look at, at this dude. Like before that, I mean, he was so quiet and so reclusive that no one really knew anything about him. Um, but that charge, um, kind of, you know, brought him to the forefront. And then, uh, after that prologue, then the book, the first chapter literally goes back to the beginning. Um, it starts with uh, him growing up in Palermo, Sicily, uh, and how he rises through the ranks over there first, because a lot of people don't know that Carlo was putting in that work early yeah, in so his life. I mean, the team, they say he was putting in high stakes hits over in uh, Sicily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't get made at the age of 19 in Sicily, where La Cosa Nostra was 
born, yeah. you don't get made into that organization that young if you're not, you know, putting in the work. So it is 19 that and he so, that, that was going to be my next question is I never found a definitive age where he was made. I know he was never made over here, which would, you know, lead us to believe he was made over in Sicily. I had no doubts of that. But was it it was 19? Yeah. Yeah. He was around the age of 19. Uh, and everything is um, nothing is concrete, uh, you know, because he was such a shadowy figure. Sure, so, sure. But it, they say that, you know, he was 19 when he was made. Um, Don Vito um, Cassiofero was the boss over there in Sicily. And he was the big wig out there. Uh, and he he made Carlo uh, because Carlo was. Uh, and that's the other thing in the mafia. You have your hitters and you have your earners. Yep. Rarely do you have both. Yes. And Carlo, from the beginning, he distinguished himself as as a hitter and an earner. Lucchese as well. Lucchese. He's a good friend. Yep. These guys, you know, Tom Lucchese, these guys were really putting in a lot of work. And they're not known for that because they were so laid back, so grandfatherly in their demeanor. Well, I mean, because you overall, have- these guys were... East and the Albert Anastasias, who have just an immense body count, but I mean, we're we're talking like exactly. we're talking about actual like true to blue psychopaths when we talk about an Albert Anastasia, oh, yeah, yeah. Or something like serial that. killers, <laughs> literally, yeah, yeah. These guys were serial killers. I was listening to your podcast actually earlier this morning, and you guys were talking about Scarpa and some of these dudes. Like those 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 guys were like literally uh, psychopaths. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it was. It wasn't even. It was, I mean, it was business. It was still business before personal. But it, it seemed like they got a real. It's almost like uh, Whitey Bulger. Not to veer too far off topic, but Whitey Bulger was once described mm-hmm. as when he would have somebody murdered or would participate in a murder. It was almost like he took a value. It was almost like a, like a, like a reset, like a reset yeah. button. You know what I mean? And like for some of these guys, that definitely. But like, like you say with Carlo and Tommy Lucchese, it seems like they found a way to split the difference to where they were you know, loving, cherished family men. Uh, from what I know, Gambino never went bouncing on his wife. He, uh, he wasn't that type of guy. No, he was no. real decree. I don't know about Lucchese as much, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was more of the stand-up type either. Mm-hmm. But that's the weirdest thing about Gambino's aura is I swear that just because of the aura of being a hitter and an earner, I feel like it lent his family to attract that. Because, I mean, when I think of all the, the hitters and earners from the Gambino family, I mean, we, we, I mean, we could go down the list and Neil Della Croce, Frankie Cachico, Sammy the Bull, Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Sammy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you on here one way or another. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even uh, <laughs> your John Gotti, your, I mean, like all, all of them. It seemed like all the Gambinos had the potential to get their hands dirty while still being a mentor. Earners. And I don't know if that's in part just because of who founded the family and like his aura in general. Because some of these guys, you got to think they never even met Don Carlo. And they like, I don't know if Roy DeMeo ever was in the presence of the legend. I wouldn't think so. But nonetheless, like right. he still felt the need to be an earner and a hitter. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, yeah, and it, it's tough. It's tough because the mafia, it, it's, a, it's a business. And it's, um, it's a business like any other business. I mean, if you own a McDonald's, you're going to have a lot of employees that are good at different things. Uh, you're going to have an employee that can clean the shit out of your floor. Like you've never, you know, your floor is always spotless. And then you're going to have an, another employee that's behind the cash register, um, you know, that that's really friendly with the customers. Yep. Then you're going to have another one that can make san- 30 million sandwiches in two seconds. Yeah, uh, you're going to so have this with mafia- your back, you know, you're going to you're going to have your low key people, you're going to have your high key people, you're open, yeah, you're closing. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. And Carlo distinguished himself from an early age as um, an earner as well as a, as a hitter. And so when he came here, I think it was in 1921 when he got here. Yeah, 21. He, he was already a legend. He was already yeah. a legend. I mean, yeah. people people knew him already, you know. And then it didn't hurt that he had family over here. Um, you know, the Castellanos were working already with uh, Salvatore Toto de Kia, um, uh, you know, in the Prohibition era. Yep. And, you know, they were heavy bootleggers already. So he, he waltzes into America and he just, you know, he just, it's like a continuation of, you know, what he was doing in Sicily. Um, so, yeah, I mean. Yeah, we've had, um, we've had that discussion about Don Carlo on here before me and David, as well as Rob, <clears throat> all sort of, he's one of those sort of legends in his own time in his own era mm-hmm. afterwards. It, it seems like he was just always destined for what he did, for what he became, for what he would become. It always seems like, and uh, David actually, our, our, uh, our rapport over there in good old jolly old England, he, uh, he mm-hmm. seems that it was always the plan for Carlo to sort of end up on top. Even when he first set foot here and tags up with the Castellanos, he, he, he believes that even the Castellanos seeing the leadership quality in him seen the like the just as just his mind just his mind flowing. I like to say it's a it's a Virgo thing because I actually share the same birthday as Carlo. So that's one of the reasons No way, really. August twenty fourth, nineteen oh two, August twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two. We're ninety years that apart. Is beautiful. <laughs> that's yep. so awesome. No, I, yeah, no, and like it just it always happened that he was one of my favorites. I mean he became they became my favorites because, I mean, and, and like, oh, just, you know, throwing it all out on the table. Like, the first thing that really captivates me that gets me into organized crime would be when I seen Goodfellas at 10 years old. The Godfather kind of mm. did it, but it, it didn't do it in the same sense of, like, Goodfellas to me depicted the life for what it was, you know? Yes. And, and one of the big sure. things they bring up in Goodfellas is, you know, Billy Bats being part of the Gambino crew. They Just the name Gambino, it always sort of rung in my head, and it was always a familiarized. Yeah. So when I first started researching organized crime, they were one of my go-tos also, be, you know, thanks to John Gotti. There's so much about yeah, them because yeah. they were so sought after all the bosses in the Gambinos after Carlo are so sought after. They wanted big Paul worse than they wanted. Mm-hmm. Cat, it seems like, and they wanted John Gotti worse than they wanted Osama bin Laden. I swear. You know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. Yep. Yep. No, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, it's funny how we all like come to fall in love with the mob, uh, for me personally, I was 13 years old. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, hey, the Brooklyn. Mill Basin section. Yeah, so b- big up to Brooklyn. Um, and I remember my first encounter with these guys was an actual hit. I remember there was just, a, in my neighborhood, there was just a bunch of cop cars everywhere. And... Uh, this guy, what I ended up finding out, because I ended up doing research on it like the next day and, you know, looking at the news and um, reading everything in the newspaper about it back then. But this guy, this Lucchese uh, associate, I believe, I don't think he was a, like a fully inducted member, but I believe he was an associate of the Lucchese crime family. His name was Robert Arena. And okay. him, him and a good friend of his... Um, got shot in their car in Mill Basin in Brooklyn. Um, and the hit was ordered by um, a Gambino capo by the name of Nicholas Carozo. 
Um, yeah. And he killed them because they had disputes, like uh, drug disputes. And I, I think Robert Arena got too big for his britches, and he was trying britches, and he was trying to like you know muscle in on some territory. And then I, I was like, I thought to myself, I was like, these guys are just killing each other in- indiscriminately on the street. Like, what right. kind of code is this? You know what I mean? And they're getting away with it on top yep. of that. So that's what really piqued my interest. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole after that. You know, I just started I, doing, you know, doing research on everything I could find. I, you know I, what I mean? I 100% feel you on that. It, uh, it was one of the, I'm a big fan of true crime in general, but the mob always piqued my interest because they, they took, they took chaos, disorder, murder, carnage, all that. They, they structured it. They set it up in a militaristic style and they turned it into yeah. a business. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like J. Edgar Hoover's whole little criminals are disorganized. There's no way they could be organized bit when he was trying to denounce organized crime was real, yada, yada, yada. It, it almost kind of, if you were naive enough, makes sense. You would think in your head, if you were just sure. your everyday you know, person in regular society, like there's no way criminals could be organized. Like they, you know, they, they're criminals. They can't follow regular society structure. <laughs> so how could they follow their own? But nobody seems to follow a code of conduct like, you know, like the mafia, bikers, uh, d- different street gangs that hold like mm-hmm. more true to their, true to their roots. That I mean, like the Latin Kings is a good example as well. Like yeah. you know, I mean, like so, some of the structures that some of these guys follow, it's like they follow more bylaws and codes than there are regular laws in society. <laughs> you know, no, it, it, it's crazy when you think about it. And at the end of the day, they're making a boatload of money while they're you know because of it. Um, uh, and and. You know, there's always been a black market since the beginning of mankind. And when you think about it, that's what the mafia is. You know, they're providing a service uh, to the public that is um, that the government won't let the public enjoy. And um, when you're providing that kind of service, um, albeit an illegal service, you know, you can charge top dollar for it because scarcity oh, yeah. is demand. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. uh you know, I mean, and and it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And it, Carlo, it, is, it is fascinating. And Don Carlo, you can actually study. If you want to be a business tycoon, you can study Warren Buffett and you can study Carlo Gambino. I mean, yeah, absolutely. their minds absolutely. work the same way. Their minds work the yeah. same way. I mean, Carlo, you know, was in the violent end of the business uh, of corporate America, but I mean, it's still the same mindset, you know, profit by any means, um, you know, take no prisoners, uh, whether you got to do it with lawyers or with a gun. Uh, but, you know, that's it, where Carlos is. He, he was for both. But if you're yeah. a, an individual in my regime that's selling narcotics, despite the fact I use narcotics to get where I got, I see the downfall. <laughs> yeah. of narcotics. You know what I mean? Like, I've been there. I've done that. I'm older than you. Yeah, I'm wiser yeah. than you. Yeah. always fear an old man in a business where young men die regularly they say you know and yeah, yeah i yeah. mean Car- Carlo died of natural causes uh, i think only haven't ever served a total of six months uh total <laughs> that's, not, that's never yeah never even in one stint <clears throat> and i mean he Craziness. died watching a yankees game. died watching a yankees game of natural causes i mean yes sir yes sir yep died watching a yankee game in at his house you know i mean if that's not the way to go out after a, a life of you know, because the reason Carlo Gambino is my favorite mobster is because he ran the entire gamut. All right. Like, yeah. um, 
Gotti didn't. Castellano didn't. All of the other mob chieftains in the Gambino family didn't. And most of Gambino's contemporaries in other families didn't live to see uh, an old age or die in their bed. So yeah, I think a lot of people underestimate. Yeah, right. Correct. So I think a lot of people underestimate how hard that is. Like you're living in a life, you're living in a world where if you look at someone wrong, yeah, you'll get whacked. Any, any kind of dispute, any kind of, and he was he was genius at it. Even the even the story of Albert Anastasia sort of belittling him and slapping him. I love that story. Yeah, yeah. Nothing nothing shows the cunningness and the the future plot in Carlo more than being able to take that on the chin and just kind of like a nod and okay, Albert, all right, yeah, all right, yeah, whatever you say, your day is coming. You know what I mean? He didn't. He didn't get mad about it. He didn't get it. It never seemed like when you hear the phrase, it's nothing personal. It's strictly business. I don't think anybody lived up to that better than Carlo. Very rarely did a hit ever seem personal to him. Very rarely did any kind of violence he ever ordered seem like it was ordered to be over the top violent or over. If if it was taken there, it's depending who you gave the job to, you know? Sure. Sure. But whereas like, uh, you know, an Albert Anastasia, like I hate squealers, kill them. Or like when he ran murder Inc, there was different, they, like they wanted to torture people. We're talking a whole different kind of, mindset to where like yeah you can say it's not personal and it's just business but it's just like the roy DeMeo. joe coffee had a great bit about him where he said uh a lot of people that roy killed and chopped up these these were low rent people these were people you could have left in an alley you didn't need to defame them you didn't need to not let their families mm. know what happened you did it because you wanted to you know be because it's it's you know because you wouldn't you enjoyed it to a sense you had to have otherwise you would have done it 200 times you know correct correct <clears throat> But with yeah. oh, it seems like other than the James McBradley hit, uh, that uh, is what Gotti is like. Got Gotti, Gotti his yeah. sort of claim to fame. Uh, you know that was because somebody had kidnapped Carlo's nephew and killed him. That was a little more personal. But see, he didn't even order torturing or anything on that man. He just I want him gone. Sure, sure thing. Yep, and um, that's what this book goes. It goes obviously um, when the first edition was written, um, we didn't know who. In the 70s, no one knew who, I think his name was Manny Gambino, was his nephew's name. No one knew yeah. who, who Manny Gambino's killer was. We didn't know it was Jane, uh, Jim McBratney. So um, the second edition, you know, we, we, you know, we delve into all of that stuff because, um, you know, it's important. It's important to the story. And what you said is true. I mean, I think Gambino killed selectively. Um, yeah, it and, was very, um, it was yeah. very because you had broke, he took the rules very seriously, <clears throat> you know, yes. because you had broken a rule, you know, if the commission said you had to go, you know, like, I think the only one that he wouldn't have stood for had he had lived, and I think that's the only reason that happened after he died was the Angela Bruno hit. I don't think that would have fared yeah. with Carlo on, on the board of commissions. Yeah, no, yeah, that, but, and you know what, that was the turning point, actually, to be honest with you, that, like, that was the ushering in of a new m- way of doing things in the mob. Um, kind of kind of cowboy. Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Scarfo. Yeah, these guys were a bunch of cowboys. That was the Gotti era as well. Um, I respect Gotti. You know, like obviously Carlo yeah. Gambino is my favorite mobster of yeah. all time and my favorite Gambino mobster of all time. And I respect Gotti because Gotti was a man's man. Um, 
but he had the, he had the he, balls to do it. I, I mean, I give him credit where credit's due on the wish it, want it, do it. You fucking, you know, you were put in a corner that's either it's either this guy or your friends, and you chose your friends. And hey, I commend you for that. But I mean, when people pep him up to be the best boss that they're ever, he actually did the family a lot of damage. You know, like disservice. Yeah, he did. He did. And a lot of people don't want to hear that because we like to glorify Gotti um, because we hadn't seen something like him since Al Capone. You know, like the, the Straight country out hadn't, past, even. Yeah, yeah, we hadn't seen we hadn't seen something like that. And I was little, but I remember being in front of my TV like, damn, this guy looks like a god. Like, yeah, know, a god. Hair, That's hair exactly. comb back, <laughs> like hair yeah. comb back, like these, yeah. like these every Rolex day. watches, oh, like yep. oh, changing suits during court hearings and shit, bringing bringing a change of a you know a three piece fucking two thousand dollar suit with a hand painted tie, having two of them on that so you could change midway through your court hearing, like. That's some gangster shit. Like that's where, I, like that's my fascination with Carlo Gambino. Even though I share the same birthday as him, I don't, I don't have the same like mindset. I wouldn't have the same mindset. I got it till all the way to the finish. That's where people and people think that I'm getting out. I'm not saying anything bad because if I'm saying something bad about John Gotti, I'd have to be saying something bad about my myself because no matter how many personalities take for like what mob boss would you be, I always get Gotti. It does, sure. it doesn't like you know, I'm flamboyant. I like the limelight. You know what I mean? I, like. But Carlo, he he managed that. He wanted more than that. He wanted like he wanted the empire to live a thousand years, and that takes a whole different person because he could have spoiled the shit out of himself. He didn't. Oh, he lived sure. modestly. I think sure. they say the only thing he really out of himself was didn't he have like a license plate? Wasn't he a big fan of like the CG one on his like CG one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Did that cost a lot of money or something? Huh? Back then. Yeah, did that cost a lot of money or something? Because like it doesn't yeah, seem you like have that, a, you had to have a lot of juice back then. Like you had to have a lot of um, connections to get. It's not like nowadays where like you you could basically get whatever you want on your license plate. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah it, it cost a pretty penny back then. And aside from paying for it, you know, you had to have some you had to have some civic connections in order to get those kind right. of license plates. Because I think back then those kind of license, those specialized license plates were reserved for like government officials, you know, like yeah, those exactly. kind of people. Yeah, I thought like, I, yeah, like the president, different stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I definitely think he was the right person to be there for the sort of the changing of the guard. You know, we, we talk like he, cause he still comes up with like Luciano and stuff towards the end of Luciano's run, obviously. But he, he brushed his shoulders with like, he works with Genovese. He, you know, he knew Costello. He, he knows all the old players, but then he's there at the turning of the guard. You know, we're talking like the mid-50s, Anastasia dies. The 60s is upon us, and, you know, Carlo really starts to take over and really starts to make moves. And that's when that sort of new era of guys begins coming up, the young John Gotti's, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the younger, younger Sammy, the Bull, stuff like that. And he was really good to be there to usher them because, like you said, once he goes, Angelo Bruno goes, it seems like that following generation, like – I don't know. They, that's when you just end up in like a full-fledged like gang warfare. It's it's no like if they start treating it no different than street gangs. You know what I mean? Yes. It's where there's really no there's really no order or hierarchy. People are just zinging bullets at each other. Just whether they're your friends, whether they're your enemy, whether they're your, you know your best mm-hmm. bet was the feds for a stretch. Uh, sadly, yeah, yeah, I agree a hundred and ten percent. It it turned into a circus. Um, now, Gotti. Um, he's not my favorite, but he was a man's man in the sense that what he did hold true to was the uh, the, the code of Omerta. 
Yeah, um, take, yeah, he so took his time. Till the he very end. Time. Yeah, man. Yep. I want to hate Gotti so bad because I love Carlos yep. so much. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm, like, I wish the Gambino family were... Yeah, I wish Carlos still existed, and I wish he was still running things. And I want to hate Gotti so so much, but there were there were things in Gotti that were still reminiscent of... He was a throwback. He was. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was, man. I got to give him credit where credit's due. Uh, everyone else was snitching. That was, like, the, yeah. the era of the snitches. And Gotti... He would have did a hundred years in prison and he wouldn't have said a word and, and neither would any of the other Gotti's too. Peter Gotti, like all those dudes, like his whole family, they were really straight laced when it came to following Omerta. And, you know, I got to give it up to him, but yeah, the flamboyance, um, you know, if you're, if you're a basketball star, you can be flamboyant. Yeah, if you're a rock um, when, star, when, you're allowed to be. <laughs> correct. If you're Chris Brown, if you're Michael Jackson, if you're, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you can, you know, that's a part of your career to be flamboyant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you're a mob boss, that's that's not the job title um, where you yeah, want to where I'm you want to be straightened all over the place. Yeah, man. You, yeah. Yeah, you got to be low key. I, I do, I do love some of like the press coverage though. Like when he's walking with the one guy, he's like, "You need to behave yourself," and the one guy's like, "I am behaving." He's like, "No, you're not behaving. You need to behave yourself." Just like right. some of the shit he would say to people was hilarious. Facing eighty fucking years walking in the court, Mister Gotti, how do you feel? He's like, "Hey, you know I always feel good." Yeah, right, dude. You're oh. riddled with anxiety. <laughs> no, your stomach isn't bubbling. You fucking, you've been constipated for three days because you can, you can hear him on that, and then you can hear him on the tape. Like, who wants to be here? Nobody wants to be here. I got a headache. I don't feel good. Like, you know, the press, like, that's why I do love that yeah. nobody's going to break his spirit. His, law, his lawyer team said that whenever they went to visit him, like, not Bruce Cutler, but the lawyers who ended up on the case where he lost because he couldn't use Bruce Cutler, when they go to visit him, they were like, we'd be down and depressed, and he would pep us up. You know, he'd come out and tell us jokes. Hey, how you boys doing? Blah, 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 blah. You know, motherfuck him every chance you get. Never let him see you sweat. Oh, yeah, you can go back definitely. there. Definitely. That one be a mess for the next 23 hours. Anytime a guard comes around, he's like, hey, how you doing? Still combing his hair, still, you know, like. Yep, yep. And let, I mean, uh, and I know this is a, a Carlo podcast, but Gotti has a way of just, you know, kind of. And then, in, yeah. he, he's, he, he's the man like that, in, 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 you know, in that sense. So he, you know, so he deserves a little bit of attention, but let's not get it twisted. Like, oh, no, Carlo's the real McCoy. No, yeah. Carlo's <laughs> a real McCoy, but Gotti was. Com- Gotti got that contract from Carlo verbatim yep so that should let you yep. know the kind of clout like Gotti wasn't some errand boy you know what i mean like no, no. he was he was a man's man and, and and um uh mafioso's mafioso and i think gambino saw um the talent in Gotti, and you know the charisma the ability to lead men Gotti had that yeah if there's one thing yeah, Gotti, Carlo Gotti, and Gotti had in common, it was the ability to lead men. I think Carlo did it more um, uh, passively. Warren Buffett, like you described it, you described it perfectly earlier. More, more like a Warren Buffett. Gotti Correct. did it like a gang. Right, and Gotti was a little bit more. Um, you know, he was a demigod, and he and you know people yeah. followed him and and loved him because he was just you wanted to be around him. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah, I've talked to a couple people who, who were present once or twice during, like, and they'd say when he walked in a room, like, you know, it was just, it's like how they describe Jimmy Burke and, uh, and Goodfellas. When he walked in the room, everybody just went wild. Everybody went, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Because, you know, yeah. cause he was there. Yeah, definitely. Another thing I can say about Gotti is despite the fact that he was a degenerate gambler, all the way along, he always kicked up what he needed to kick up every week. He would go for broke. They would do what they had to do. He would owe who he had to owe, but he never owed the family. Like, you hear about a lot of these guys get behind because of their gambling. That uh, Lefty Ruggiero from the Bananos and the Donnie Brasco thing, he had to settle a $325,000 debt before he could get his button or Correct. something along that yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but Gotti never never had that problem. Even though he was a degenerate gambler, he did like the finer things in life. So you know when he's coming up, he's going for broke. Like that would say a lot to Carlo too. Like here's a guy who like should be trying to skim a little bit off the top, but he's not. He's kicking in his full what he owes every like every week. Definitely honor, honor. Uh, yeah. The uh, Gambino and 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 Gotti um, had that in common as well. I, I think Gotti treated. <laughs> Say that again. I said Della Croce as well because it always stuck out to me that Neil was an Anastasia supporter, but when Carlo became the boss, same as when Paul became the boss, your boss is your boss is your boss. Like to me, Neil's another stand-up, you know, true La Cosa Nostra mafioso, mm-hmm. like a, a true what like what that life's supposed to be. Neil mm-hmm. Della Croce and Carlo Gambino are definitely two of my top examples of like here's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, definitely. And, and they made a great team, you know. I think uh, Carlo was a diplomat. And, I mean, he was older at that point when, um, you know, when the Gaudis were, uh, you know, I think when Gaudi was uh, inducted and made a, um, you know, a capo, you know, uh, Carlo was, you know, about, you know, getting ready to pass away. But uh, yeah. I think, I think um, that uh, Neil Della Croce, who, incidentally, Carlo Gambino um, inherited him from Albert Anastasia. Um, yep. Neil De La Croce was a bad, he was a bad man, man. He, he was yeah. one of those, um, you know, those murdering killers. Like he was out there putting in yeah. that work. You know what I mean? He was, yeah, he was a scary guy. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. For sure. Um, you don't earn Gotti's respect um, unless you put in that work. You know what I mean? And, and I think the biggest mistake Carlo did, and maybe it wasn't a mistake. I, I don't know if it is or if it isn't. And I'll be interested to see, to, uh, to know what you think about this, but um, was he divided the family because on his, on his way out, instead of being categorically clear, okay, Neil is the boss or okay, uh, I mean, I know he officially made Paul Castellano the boss on his deathbed, but right before he died or leading up to Carlo Gambino's death, there was a white collar faction and then there was a blue collar faction of the Gambino family. Yes. And, and um, yeah, and, and Della Croce ran the blue collar faction. These were the, the, the street racket guys, uh, hijacking. The truck, um, hijacking. Truck, yeah, 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 stuff like that. Yeah, and then you had... Uh, Paul Castellano, who, you know, would get lost in, in yeah, the streets. Yeah, he he had no clue what the hell was going on in the streets. You know what I mean? He yeah. was a Wall Street guy. Leonardo guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think Carlo Gambino, his intention was he was looking 10 years ahead, which was his gift. He was able to see things. He was a chess master. He was able to see 
yeah. four or five steps ahead. And so he was thinking to himself, okay, we're going into a different age now. And um, it's not going to be about um, Shylocking and, 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 you know, hijacking trucks and, and freight from JFK. Like, we can make more money just doing stock swindles on Wall Street in Absolutely. two months. And than right. And so that's why he put Paul Castellano in charge. He put the white collar crew uh, in charge on his deathbed. But the, the issue, the problem with that is Cosa Nostra is street and it'll always be street. Um, these guys are gangsters. They're gangsters. Yeah. They're, at the end of the their day, blood. Right, they're at the end of the day, yep. they're gangsters. They're not, they're not Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. They're yeah. not, um, you know, they're not CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. They're killers. Yep. They're corruptors. Yep. And, and yeah. You no know, such have any crooks, as they say. Yeah. I wonder what do but you no, think? I... What do you think? If if Gambino would have made Della Croce boss, how would things have been different in your opinion? What do you think about that? See, we had this we had this debate with me, David, and Rob as well, because I always thought the same thing you did, that that was the wrong move. That was it. David had another theory on it. What if he did offer it up to Della Croce, whose health was also failing him at the time, whose face in 100 fucking years for, I can't remember what exactly right now, but Della Croce is on. What if Della Croce actually turned it down? He seemed a little, like, dismayed or distraught, but, like, when you listen back to the Gotti tapes, it doesn't ever really seem like Neil wants anything but to not leave a war behind him. Like, Gotti's more mad he didn't get boss than Neil. Neil might have been a little disappointed, but we wondered if, if Neil knew it wasn't the right time for him. If mm. the world was changing so much you know, between technology, between, like, that Neil knew he wasn't what was needed for the next stretch. I, like, it really is, like, had Neil been in better health, excuse me, and not facing, the, you know, the extended period of time in prison that he was facing upon his death, mm. I think Gambino might have sought it a little differently but mm. you know sometimes it's like uh, when's the last time did you use a vcr you know what i mean <laughs> like right, there's right. a million ways to watch movies in this day and age and some people are still still even on the old school dvd kick nobody and i repeat nobody is using a vcr barely anymore very <laughs> right. few and far between right right, but right. i know it's a weird comparison. people be like where the hell is he going with it i'm glad you seem to understand what i'm saying no that, i, I now, hear you yeah. outlive the era uh, that was la cosa nostra because right. things start rapidly changing after that period. You know what I mean? Like just even technology, the feds, uh, the way they surveil you. Della Croce still had that you can leave them where you find them in his blood. You know what I mean? Like if you have a problem and you got to whack a guy, they don't got to disappear. Leave them yeah. in the street. Yeah. Leave him, you know, leave them for all. The, and it's nothing. It's not like the same mentality as Nicky Scarfo because he wanted headlines. Della Croce just, it seemed like he was kind of outdated on certain things. Sure. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. But, uh, uh, I definitely think he should, that Carlo did, uh, people are going to hate me for this one. Carlo's biggest mistake is having not clipped Gotti. <laughs> Sadly. Wow. That's Carlo's biggest mistake. That's Carlo's biggest mistake. And I'm not saying anything. I might get a bunch of hate for that. <laughs> you, you might stop listening to the podcast. I don't know. I'm not saying anything. Gotti. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying nobody was allowed to bend the rules and like sift and all that. Carlo would have never allowed that at a younger age. He was too old to deal with sort of a, a hothead like Gotti, and then you had Della Croce backing him. Gambino seemed to just kind of, that's that seems to be when he started phoning in the rest of his life, if that makes any sense. So yeah, it's not like yeah. he was, it's not like he was losing it like the Al Capone sense of the word where he wasn't there mentally, he wasn't there, but it seemed like he sort of softened, if that made any sense. He didn't get cold, like, because the longer Paul's in charge, the more and more people die. 
the longer Gotti's in charge, the more and more people die. It didn't seem that way with Carlo. It seemed like the longer Carlo was in charge, the more and more he tried to pass on violence, except for that early 70s stretch where, like, heroin was the biggest thing on the planet. And, he, you know, he was, he was true to the credo, if you deal, you die in my family. He did hold his guns on that. But it seemed like things that would have got somebody killed with 1957 Carlo Gambino didn't get people killed with 1970s Carlo Gambino, if that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Also, I think we should bring up the, the, the point that the fact that the older Carlo Gambino got, a lot, of, a lot of people don't know that Carlo Gambino was the biggest smuggler of human traffic into the United States. This man was smuggling Sicilians into Brooklyn yeah. and New York like it was nobody's business. Yep. Like it was going out of stock. Like hotcakes. Oh, my God. Yeah, like hotcakes. And he, I, I think um, he, he would smuggle in these like hardcore Cosa Nostra Sicilians. So, for example, one, one of the crews that, you know, ran um, Brooklyn, the Cherry Hill Gambinos, and yep. these were all his cousins and stuff like that from Sicily. And they came in. And a lot of people think that Carlo Gambino wasn't into drugs. And that's, that's a falsehood. That's, that's, that's a falsehood. Um, Gambino, yep. the Gambinos ran that racket um, uh, with an iron fist. What was smart about Gambino is he stayed out of the, um, the retail side of the drug dealing business. And he just host he wholesaled almost exclusively, so that way, uh, you know, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be surveyed by law enforcement and stuff like that. In the end, they ended up getting caught anyway. But uh, so a lot of the um, the um, American-born mobsters um, had to really tread lightly back then because. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he, this guy is old. Carlo Gambino's old, right? And he's kind of like on his deathbed. But I'm not, I'm not making a move against this guy. And and not just the like in in the family, like the other four families as well. It's like we're not even gonna think about making making a move against this guy because he has a secret. Well, the last time they tried, two of them. Yeah, the last time they tried, two of them were banished, and another guy was made boss because of them, who he would inevitably end up having killed having, too. Right. You know, yep. Joe. You know. Yep. Yep. Like a lot, a lot of people don't know that that's actually where Joe Colombo was. I mean, a lot of people do know, but a lot of people who tune into my podcast strictly because I'm doing it don't know. This is all new stuff to them. That Joe Colombo ends up the head of his own family because he was given the hit. I think it's by Fauci to take out Carlo Gambino and. I mean, he's at turmoil with it. He doesn't know what to do. Here's a guy who's clipped a, a known 13, probably more, but a known 13 people by then. Yep. Murder should be no big deal. It shouldn't matter who it is. But Carlo's name rang that hard through New York that Colombo didn't know if he, by doing it, he was walking into his own deathbed. Correct. Yeah. And so Carlo... And like that... Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Carlo had that effect on people uh he didn't have to be boisterous like a Gotti or like albert anastasia the fear he he put in your heart was the kind of when he smiled at you you didn't you didn't know whether whether that smile was a, a like a genuine smile like you know or whether it was he was that stoic in his in his demeanor and and 
that's a perfect word. Right. It's a perfect he was word. Very stoic. stoic. Very, yeah, he was very stoic. But but the muscle was there. Like I I don't want people to think oh, that yeah. this guy was so, like he was importing hardcore mercenary international mercenaries from Sicily. These were born and bred dudes from from Palermo. He was bringing these people in and to the point where the media when they finally caught on to it like the Cherry Hill Gambinos were a family in and of itself. They were a mob family yeah. in and yep. of itself. And they owed their allegiance to Carlos specifically. So, I mean, it, you know, the guy was a scary guy in, in you know, in his own way um, because of that kind of power that he wielded um, both in Sicily and here in America. And there's a reason why he died in his bed, you know. Uh, of natural yeah. causes. He was smart. To me, he was the smartest boss that ever did it. That's that's argued by people who argue the Chen, which is a very good one to argue. Mm-hmm. There's that argued by the fact that Luciano did, in fact, organize organized crime. Mm-hmm. However, Luciano always kind of had that pension for the limelight himself, in a sense. Yes. Sort of the same. Sort of the same as not not as bad or not as brazen as a Capone or a Gotti or even a Joe Colombo. Uh, but still, still sort of, I mean, he, he didn't mind you knowing what he did, Luciano, you know I mean? Right. Gambino, Gambino never knew know what he was, what he did, who he was, you know, how powerful he was, you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. I, I, that, and I've not. Go ahead, Ian. Oh, uh, like just from all the research I found, like Dominic Montiago, whose uh, uncle was Nino Gacci. Yeah. who worked for the Roy DeMeo crew and all that, he, he described Carlo Gambino. And then even Joe Coffey describes Carlo Gambino's wife and Gambino's household in general as when you went there, you softened. You were no longer a street guy. <laughs> you, know, you were no longer a Neo Della Croce would soften up walking in the Gambino household to talk to his wife. You know, and he, like, we're, we're talking about some hardened, hardened individuals who put on, their, you know, put on their manners, minded their P's and Q's, like, oh, it's good to see you. Oh, the family's fine, blah, blah, blah. You weren't a gangster when you went into the Gambino house. You might have been a gangster in that den when the door was locked and men were talking business. But all throughout that house, if you were welcome there, if you were allowed to set foot in there, you weren't a gangster anymore. You were just a, a, a business associate of, you know, said father, said husband, whatever. Yeah. But you weren't, it wasn't like, because I mean, there's some, you know, it's like, uh, like God, he always told his son. When he when his when his son would be like, what do I tell people at school? You do you say you told he told them to tell him that that their dad was a twenty four hour, three hundred sixty five day a year street guy. He was proud of it. Hmm. He wore it on his sleeve. Loved it. Whereas like a Luciano or a Gambino, I always I always kind of talk about the two interchangeably because they both have the same stare to me. Like that's where I love mug shots. I'm gonna end up with a bunch of mug shots tattooed on me. Luciano mm-hmm. and Gambino will both be their spot. Nice. But uh, as well as a bunch of box cars and stuff like that, just I, I like mug shots because I think they're people at their realest. It's one of the realest pictures you can take. I mean, with the exception of like a Nick Nolte or something who's just blitz beyond his recognition and doesn't know where he's at. Right. But anybody who's like full of the fact that they're being arrested, they're in jail, they're facing charges. The look on everybody's face in a mug shot is so their their intentions are kind of clear. If that makes any sense, like who they are, what they're about. And both Luciano and Gambino, they don't have a care in the world that doesn't seem they know that even if they get even if they get a hundred years which neither of them ever look like they're super worried about but they both know that their legacies are going to live on just just in their eyes just the way it you know appears to me whereas you get like a Vito Genovese his mugshot 
all I see is him wanting to kill whoever's taking the pictures. Sure, sure. You know, I yeah, see him yeah. want, I see him wanting to dismay everybody who's put him in this situation. He's furious. He's he's not having it. He's he's holding his composure. But you know, same with like a Carmine Galante or even a Neo Della Croce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like God, Gotti's Gotti's is another one to wear like that big smile, like always with like the grin and the smile. Like he he's just once again happy to be in a picture. You yeah. know what I mean? Like. But, like, a Gambino or a Luciano, they seem to have this, like, thousand-yard stare almost where, like, when you look at Carlo's mugshots or the few pictures that are taken of him, he already knows. He's, like you said, he's a chess player, and he's already 10 steps ahead. He's already got you in checkmate, and you just don't see it yet. Correct. He's still got pieces on the board, but they're about to be gone. Yeah, definitely, for sure. It's I think his legacy, um, Carlo Gambino's legacy uh, – when it comes to uh, organized crime uh, is one of he and that and don't get me wrong there were cerebral mobsters before him John Torrio was um, you know was a very cerebral guy out there in Chicago um, you know you know, you, you had a lot of cerebral guys in 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 organized in organized crime. Um, Lucchese is one of them, and stuff like that. But I think with with Carlo Gambino, he his his way of playing chess, I think you didn't know where you stood with him, and that's where no. the fear came. That that's where Lucchese would kill you in a second. You yeah. know what I mean? He like if you yep. knew if you said some shit to Lucchese's face, you wouldn't make it out of the building alive, right? Yeah. And yeah, th- you knew when you were on the outs with them, yes. Right. And so there's a there's 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 almost a sense of security in knowing where you stand with someone. You know what you can get away with, you know what you can't get away with. Carlo, you didn't know. You didn't know. There are people who had done things to Carlo and he never sought reprisal against them. There are people yeah. who um, who did things to him and, you know, they vanished the next day. You didn't know yeah. how he was going to react to anything because he didn't want you to know. He didn't let you know. So I think um, his, his legacy his, is, is, is pretty much the fact that he was able to create a criminal empire using um behavioral science he mastered he mastered it he mastered that to a t and i think before him and even after him no one did it like he did um you know not quite no not to the same extent as him not not any any way that I can fathom because we're talking about he had what he's another guy with what like a fifth grade education yes yes he uh yeah he, as smart as like he was because I'm pretty sure he was still pretty well versed I'm sure I, I could have swore he was pretty well like literate he could read he could write he I, I didn't think he was one of those guys like Anastasia who who was illiterate and who was just like you know just kind of ruled by a pension of fear and yeah. violence so much as he would rule by fear, violence, words, cunningness, uh, you know, being able to con you, being, a- being able to provide you a reason to want to stay loyal, being able to, wherever he felt you needed, Carlos seemed, he seemed to have the answer. Sure. He really did. Sure. Yeah. He, he, and, th- and that's what made, that's what made him so great. 
he was he was a he was a um a Machiavellian scholar. He studied um Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince. That was his favorite book, and he he read it. Um, you know, that's where he got the um the quote that you need to be a fox and a lion. Um, you, you need to be a fox because you need to be able to you know outsmart people, and then you need to be able, you need to be a lion as well. Um, cause sometimes you just need to be aggressive and you need to, you know, stand your ground, um, and you need to scare away the wolves. And, you know, he, he literally, he took that maxim and he, he embodied it. You know, a lot of people said that, you know, a lot of people would go around quoting it, but he really, he was like the living embodiment of, you know, Machiavelli. And, you know, how do you beat a guy like that? You know, it's like playing chess I mean, against Bobby Fischer. You, you, you're not going to win. Yeah. You can't win. Paint, paint next to Bob Ross. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You just can't win. So. But no. Uh, did you have any uh, partners on this endeavor of yours? Uh, the book itself. Yeah, the book itself. Uh, just, just Paul Meskel, and and um, what what I what I what I added to the book were literally just the updates. Um, like I said at uh, at the beginning of the of, of this recording. Um, I, I needed a physical copy of the book and I couldn't find it. I think I went on Amazon one time and because it's like a collector's item now, like there's a, there was a, a copy selling for like 500 bucks. And I'm like, I'm not paying all that money to like, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is crazy. And so, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. you know, and I, I, I always wanted to update the story because Paul Meskel, like I said, wrote it in the seventies. And when he published it, Carla was still alive. So there was a lot of things that you know needed to be updated so uh i didn't really have any a lot of things lately on say that again Ian. i said probably a lot of things he kind of treaded lightly on too you know being that gambino is alive in that (laughs) era correct 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 and so i um all all praise goes to paul meskel um you know for uh, that was a that was a huge huge endeavor um you know tackling that project back then, um, you know, and writing that book, um, like you said, Dang a lot. It. It's still actually. Go ahead. I said it was still actually dangerous. It was true investigative journalism. Yeah. It was some real uh, on the front line, like this shit could get you killed type of shit. It's not like writing about all these guys now. They're all dead or the ones that have turned informant love the fact that you use their name because they'll probably collect royalties. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. So yeah, back then, writing about the Gambino family in 1970, um, it's, it's not the same, um, you know, as writing about them now. And so, I, I all credit goes to Paul and his family. Uh, they're great people. Um, I really enjoyed meeting, uh, talking with them, um, and you know, collaborating with them on on this project. Uh, and so, I, I can't really take any of of, of the credit. Um, I wrote the epilogue and I updated the photos. Um, so that there was a more, there's a more chronological the photos in the in the first edition um, chronicled organized crime as a whole in the country. In this second edition, um, the photos um, are are are, are chron- uh, they basically stick with the actual Gambino story, uh, and it's more yeah. focused on Gambino himself. It's his chrono. They're in like chronological. Yeah, 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 correct. So, um, 
that's all I did. Um, but all, all credit to Paul Meskel and the Meskel family, for sure. Hey, man, all credit to you for actually sitting down and Hunter S. Thompson and that shit, man. I've always wanted, I wanted to become a better writer by doing that. And I just lack the discipline. And I'm on the road for work, and I'm just constantly – but all excuses because I could still do it in my free time. Mm-hmm. But – like, I mean, big shout out to you for that, because that in itself does take up. I mean, that's like learning a symphony on, a, on an orchestra. Like, there's going to be times midway through where you're like, I'm sure you're like, what am I doing this for? Is this even going to, you know what right, I mean? Like, right. but, you know, that fight and you kept making it worth your while. And I, I was I was super pumped to have you on when you asked if you could promote the book in the group. I was like, well, shit, man, Carlos, my favorite. Like, what you got going on? got going on this weekend but yeah. no so i'm i'm real happy we got together and did this why don't let all, all the listeners find a lot know where they can find the book at where they can purchase the book at so w- what we did uh with the publisher is if um you're a part of the group um the, the gambino family group um or you know i i can give you my email address or whatever uh we're putting we're, we're sending out um some pre-launch um kind of like digital copies um so that you know we can get everybody involved early before we even launch um the reason we're doing that is because we would like uh, people to get familiar with the story and then when we do launch hopefully everybody will go out on amazon and you know just drop a line or two um i don't care if you like it or hate it you know you know just let us know what you what you think about it um and so the book will be coming out Wednesday, December 16th, 20, uh, of this year. And, um, you know. On the anniversary of good old Paul Castellano. Yeah, right. Well, that's, uh, right, right. That Spark Steakhouse. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah. Did, you do, did you do that on purpose? Uh, no. But I'm glad you caught it, though. Well, that is just. <laughs> yes. I like that. That is irony right there, my friend. It's definitely some good irony right there. But hell yeah, man. I mean, I've been on the whole uh, holiday at the hideaway kick here. So, I mean, I figured what better time to have somebody on promoting a book that's coming out right around the holiday season. Because, I mean, if if you don't know what to get that mob nut in your life, trust me, books always work well for us. Documentaries. I mean, we love love all of it. For any of my true crime fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. it's one of those weird obsessions where, like, when you tell your family, when they're like, what do you want for Christmas this year? And you're like, ah, more books about murderers and drug dealers if you could. Yeah, right? I, I mean, at least at least you guys got that one. I'll be telling my family. They'll be like, what do you want for Christmas this year? I'm like, uh, if you could get me more Columbine stuff to research, that'd be great. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book on that whole uh, tragedy. Right, right. No, no, I hear you. And, and kudos to you, too, Ian. I think the, the work you've done, um, you know, on Facebook, I, it was – I was so happy when I came across your group um, because, I mean, believe it or not, we're, we're like a niche, us mob lovers. Not everybody loves this stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so when, no, when no. someone... Some people can't. Yeah, some people can't stand this, this shit. And, and, you know, they think it's vile and it's despicable and stuff like that. But, you know, everybody has their interests. And for, for you to, you know, to, you know, to start that group and, um, you know, really give all of us a platform to um, communicate with one another and post things and talk to each other and stuff. It, 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 it's, it's, it was really like a, like a breath of fresh air. So uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for having nope. me here. I mean, nope, I, I, anytime, man. I, I mean, that's where I got to give a big shout out to my co-host that can't be here with me. Uh, David Bradsford over in London, Boston, Rob, you know, how you doing? I hope your mom's all right. 
But uh, no, I gotta give it to those guys because America Social Club was around long before me. Same with the the wise the wise guys uh, connection, and uh, a few of them are around before me. My whole thing is I wanted to specify on particular subject matter within the mob. Like that was where my niche kicked in. Is like I wanted I wanted a Gambino group. I wanted my Detroit Combination group. I wanted a you know I wanted specific sort of sought after groups for in particular thing. and like that's where like I, I do play fast and loose with the Gambino group a little bit because you can post about Gaspipe Castle yeah. you can post about Genevieve so long as the story you want to tell and the, the you know the information you want to put out there links back into how they were in ties with the Gambinos whether they were at war whether they were making money together whether they hated each other you know like that's where, <clears throat> that's where I always uh kind of wanted the group to start but i appreciate you saying that because gambino is the first group i started it is definitely my baby mm-hmm. it's uh you know ten thousand members strong and for the most part we got nothing but solid members there's always there's gonna be some trolls that keep in <laughs> it, it is what it is i've learned to I've learned to combat them rather easily but uh no it was <clears throat> it was an honor to have you on the podcast man if there's ever any uh i mean you're you're a fucking expert on don carlo in your own right uh i mean you, you definitely had definitely had some information that i didn't have so but that's where sitting down and rewriting a book like that probably helped you. It probably certain things that you write or like type down or whatever, when you typed it, your brain just, it just absorbed sure, it, you sure, know? Definitely. Yep. You're spot on with that. Definitely. I'm definitely, I'm definitely pumped to read uh, the, the, what, however much of the book you sent me, I have to get into my emails and uh, clear that up. Cause it's always just bombarded with crazy mm-hmm. shit and wish apps wanting to sell me crap pipes and all sorts <laughs> of stupid shit. Uh, for real i need to stop using the actual email for everything it's honestly ridiculous I, i'm just i don't think about things sometimes and they're just like what's your email i'm like yeah no problem <laughs> give them a real one when it's like, like now you're gonna spam right it. right but uh nonetheless i'm excited to read it like i said a big shout out to you know the mob king omerta social club yeah. all the groups on facebook all the guys over there at our thing a big shout out to you james for uh having the, the dedication and you know the sheer the true grit it takes to sit down and re-archive an already archived piece. I mean, that's, I mean, that's beautiful in it, in and of itself. And, uh, I'm like I said, I was real, I'm real honored to have had you on Thank here. you, brother. I appreciate it. And it was, it was an honor to be here as well. Like I said, the work that you, you guys do is, um, you know, it's very valuable. It's very valuable to all of us mob lovers and, um, you know, organized crime. Um, you know, we're all wannabes cause we, we, you know, learning never ends. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. we're, no one's an expert. You know what I mean? Every time I log no. on, I go on Facebook and, and I, um, you know, I go into the group, I learn something new, you know what I mean? And yeah, and, that, and that's the 100%. beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. So, so it, it was an honor definitely to be here today with you for sure. Well, from all of us here at the hideaway, I hope you and yours are having a terrific holiday season. Get those Christmas trees up, tell the kids that they need to behave their bad little asses <laughs> because Santa's watching. And, uh, I mean, just keep tuning into the hideaway, and we'll keep trying to keep you entertained. So, from all of us over here, from James, we were we were super pumped to have Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm gonna get this boy published, and we're gonna get 